Hello and welcome to Tales from Mysterio Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives, brought to you by The Boyfriends. I'm Billy Ray. I'm Joel. And today we're going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 18, Liaisons. Liaisons. In this episode, I'm going to be giving you the breakdown of the episode, while Joel is going to be giving you the fun facts and the trivia. So, do you have anything to start us off with? I do, only a little bit, because I've got some in-podcast trivia that's a little long, so... This episode was written by Jenna Bands and Alexandra Cunningham and directed by David Grossman. I always feel like I get them. I do um, too, because I always say Grossman. Yeah. To be funny. But I'm sure it's like gross, I, I don't Grossman? Know. Grossman? 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 I don't know. Maybe we're um, just terrible people. Maybe we are. It aired on the 15th of April, 2007. Brent Kinsman and Shane Kinsman submitted this episode for consideration on their behalf in the category of Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series at the 2007 Emmy Awards. They were not up for the award in the end, but it was a tough year, actually, because they were up against Rain Wilson from The Office, Neil Patrick Harris from How I Met Your Mother, and the winner was Jeremy Piven, who played Ari Gold in Entourage. Damn. I've never heard of Entourage. Maybe next time, Rain. Yeah. The episode title, Liaisons, is a song taken from the Stephen Sondheim musical, A Little Night Music. And the, the translations are as follows. So the Spanish is relationships. The French translates to blazing fire. The German is passionate. The Hebrew is love affairs. And the Polish translates to lies and some white too. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm assuming means like there are lies and some of them are little white lies. Oh, yes. That That's what sense. I'm assuming it means. But, and then I've got some more trivia later on. Oh, fab. I like in-house, like, in-episode trivia. Yeah. All right, then. Let's get started. What was that? That was my laptop, sorry. So, previously, Mike misremembers his first night with Susan as a movie until Susan lets him know that that was actually real life that he's remembering. Only on Desperate Housewives. And Ian is unhappy that Susan and Mike are still talking Mm. in good old Ian fashion. Yeah. But don't worry, because if you don't like Ian, you'll probably like this episode. Victor opens up to Gabby about being a crappy husband, and Gabby appreciates his candour. Tom has to go to the hospital when his back gives out, putting him on bed rest for at least three months and leaving everything in the net's hands. Yeah. And Edie took off all of her clothes in front of Carlos in a symbolic gesture of looking past his preconceived notions of her and giving her a chance. Yes. So, we get a montage of Edie being passionate with many men. And we also get a montage of Carlos being passionate with Gabby. So you'd think that their sex would be really great together, but apparently it was amazingly bad. They sit up and have an awkward exchange before getting dressed to head out. Both of them think they should definitely be having sex again, just not with each other. This whole conversation is a mood. We've been there. We've all been there. Bad sex and, you know, we don't want to seem rude, calling it out. You can quite often get surprisingly bad sex as well. Yeah. Because you just think, this is going to work out. Look at that person. And then... Yeah, well, I doubt for one second that either of them are bad. I reckon they were both just tired or something. But then again, some some people just don't mesh well that way. And Carlos and Edie, I think you would imagine, would be... Well, good together. Yeah. Yeah, because as Mary Alice said, they're both very passionate people, you know, and Carlos, we would also, we'd all like to be spontaneously passionate, but for some of us, it's just not possible. (laughs) We then cut to our title sequence and we get back to Mary Alice narrating about the lonely ones and we see Ida Greenberg talking to our plants, Kayla whispering secrets about boys to a dog and a random day player man shouting at the TV. 
Yeah, some random, like, white hillbilly dude. And then we cut to Karen, who is apparently the loneliest of all, as she chats to Gilbert, who is dead, by the way. Mm-hmm. I also love that during this conversation that Karen's having with Gilbert, she calls out the Tom and Lynette situation, saying that Lynette's bringing home the bacon again. <laughs> Absolute queen. She is calling it as it is. She just says it as she sees it. Yeah. You know? And then she's there like, oh, I bet this phone's going to go off in two minutes. So it's going to be Lynette. And then ring, ring. <laughs> and then she's like, told you. <laughs> you owe me 20 bucks, Gilbert. <laughs> when you get to that age, you just can just say things as they are. And there's no repercussions. No, there is no repercussions. It's not fair. You just get called senile and you know people roll their eyes. Lynette calls Karen to ask if she can watch the kids while she heads off to the restaurant. And we see the kids running around, not ready. And Tom laying on one of those like hospital type bed things that... But he's in the dining room. Like a gurney. No, it's not a gurney. Because a gurney's on wheels. It's kind of like a gurney, though. It yeah. Lo- it looks like that. Yeah. So Tom is already feeling guilty about all of this. He's recommending pizza specials. He wants the phone on during Lynette's interview for potential managers. So Lynette is going to be interviewing people to take over a management role. Mm. I do feel for Tom. Yeah. Because if I was in Tom's situation, I would want to be doing what Tom's doing. Because I would feel like it's helpful. But also at the same time, Tom, just let Lynette handle it. (laughs) Yeah, because you kind of know that Lynette doesn't need and also isn't going to want the assistance in this way. No, she doesn't need her hand being held. She's all good. And how many times do we have to have Tom coming up with suggestions and Lynette being like, (laughs) Mm. no. We then have one of those cute scenes where a kid doesn't understand something they've heard as Travers comes over to Edie with a glass of beer, apparently for her breakfast, and tells her that... He overheard Carlo saying that she wasn't good in bed. And he's concerned that his mum is having nightmares. And we have a clip. So what does bad in bed mean? It means that you're not good at making your bed. And mommy doesn't like people saying she can't make a bed because, trust me, nobody makes a bed as good as your mommy. If you want. I can tell people you're good in bed. No, no, no. That's fine, sweetie. Uh, if you want to help mommy, just um, top off her breakfast. What the fuck, Edie? What? Making Travers get her beer for her in the morning. Like, he's your kid, not your bartender. True, but she's teaching him a skill. You know, she's teaching him something that he can take into the real world and get a job a with. A skill that a six-year-old does not need to learn how to have yet. It's commendable. It's really not commendable. You can spin it any way <laughs> you want, but this is not commendable. That having your kid make you your beers and it, then being like, oh, yeah, there's no foam. You're ready to frost a martini glass. Girl, he's your kid. He's not your bartender. But he's not drinking the beer, so we have to commend that. Not yet. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> Travis probably loves doing it. Kids love doing shit that makes them feel more adult. Yeah. And so, like, getting a beer or something like that. Kids love to do that because it's not something they normally get to. I never get to pull the beer pump or whatever. But still, Edie, just because a kid likes to do it doesn't mean they should. I really like when in a TV show or even in real life, kids just say things that they're not really supposed to say. Or they don't understand something and they ask about it. And it's always hilarious. Yeah. Like, Edie is livid. <laughs> she, I would be too. Carl, how dare you, Carlos? How dare you talk to somebody, anybody, on the phone and say, I'm bad in bed. That's disgusting. It's not. Even if... You know, it's never okay to do that. I mean, is it not? 
No, it's not. It's horrible. It's, I, mean, it's, I mean, I've done it, but I'm not commending it. No, no. I'm not mean, condoning ev- it. Everybody's probably done it because, you know, as long as Carlos isn't going up to Edie's friends and being like, yeah, by the way, I, I slept with her, I fucked her, she's shit in bed. Like, as long as he's not doing that, you know, he's just talking to somebody on the phone. As long as it's someone that doesn't know Edie and he's just like, oh, yeah, no, I had... he doesn't have to name Edie. In this instance, he did and he shouldn't have. And he, it wasn't necessary to name Edie, but he could have just said, oh, yeah, I had sex with this chick the other night. She was awful. No names need to be exchanged. No. You don't need to name and shame a person. If you've had bad sex, tell your friends about it, have a laugh, whatever. You don't need to name and shame. But Travis is so cute. Yeah, he is. Ian and Mike are at the market or a food fair or something, and they manage to run into each other at the orange stand. Ian very presumptuously thinks that Mike is following him and Susan, and so Mike tells him that maybe he should move to the city, away from a small town where people tend to run into each other. Mm. Ian and Susan are then driving home and Ian tells her that he's having problems at work and he's going to need to spend some time in London and maybe they should both relocate. Susan's quite hesitant about it as everything that she knows is here and gets distracted from the road. Ian screams when he sees a deer in the road and Susan swerves off into a lake. They really did that in the first eight minutes of the episode. They like really a proper did. like gag moment. Mm. It's like, oh my God, have they just died? <laughs> I mean, Ian thinking that Mike is following them is a bit... Really? Yeah, I mean, Ian just needs to calm down. Like, he just needs to move to another stand. If Mike comes next to you, as a fellow Brit, we have zero problems blanking people. We're not that polite. Yeah, we queue. Yes, that's what we're known for. We're not known to huddle around something and demand to be seen, looking at you, the rest of the world. But we're not that polite. If we don't like a person, we will blank them. (laughs) There's no problem with that. So if he comes up and stands next to you at the stand... Just move. Very presumptuous to think that he's following you. I think you need to get over yourself, Ian. Yeah. Who let Susan drive? I don't know. Who passed her? What did she do to have to pass that driving test? It's crazy. Swerving off the road because there's a deer. That is a clumsy Susan moment. That is. (laughs) Yeah, that was a very clumsy Susan moment. Mm. Like, classic clumsy. But this is probably the clumsiest of clumsy Susans so far. Yes, it's probably the closest to death yes. that we've had. Yeah, I know Susan's had clumsy moments in the form of burning someone else's house down, but that wasn't close to death for her. Burning someone else's house down, burning someone else's mum. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So Ian and Susan are both getting out of the car in the lake, but Ian is afraid to let go of the car as he can't swim. Of course he can't. So earlier when I said this is going to be a great episode for people that don't like Ian, here you go. <laughs> also, does Britain have summer camp? Yeah, we have summer camps. Do we? Yep. I've never heard of Britain having a summer camp. Yeah, there are summer camps. Um, so when she's like, didn't you go to summer camp? He's like, I stayed in the canoe, let it go. I was just like, where did you go summer camp, man? I know he's like upper echelons of society. So they see a different part of Britain than, than us regular folk do. Exactly. <laughs> but um, I've never known Britain to have a summer camp. Well, you've got um, church programs where they do... It is primarily church-focused, but there are, like, lots of games and sweets and, you know, you you can win stuff, but it's a place to send your kids for a few weeks. Or you have things like the Boys' Brigade. Oh, yeah, like Scouts and stuff like that. That That can go on throughout the summer. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true, that is true. Because I was in Boys' Brigade, and I remember we went away for a week or two in the summer once, and there was camping and uh, horrible porridge. But um, yeah, fun stuff. So we do have summer stuff as well. So what's Boys Brigade? Boys Brigade, it's kind of like... Scouts? I think it's, from what I remember, it's Scouts, but with some elements of religion. Oh, oh. 
Because I remember that there was prayer at the end of, like, every single one. Mm. So, yeah, we do have some summer stuff. Oh, my God. Okay. So, Ian is scared to swim, which is um, unusual for an adult man from England. Well, if he can't swim, then it's only natural that he's scared to swim. But why can't he swim? I don't know. Maybe he's just got a fear of deep water. And so, he's, he's never... Felt the need to swim because he's never going to be in deep water. He's like, I have too much money to swim. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My money will help me float to the surface. I'll I'll hire swimmers to do it for me. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Who needs to swim when you have a yacht? (laughs) Mike then pulls up, seeing them in the water, and um, the whole I'm not following you thing kind of doesn't look too good for you right now, Mike. (laughs) No, it really doesn't. Like, what are the chances? Well, I mean, they were at the same fair. I'm not really sure where they were. I'm wondering how, why he saw them in the water, because they were strangely further in than you'd expect. For someone to just, like, well, she was, I'm guessing she was going quite fast. Because she swerved off the road, but they were kind of, like, in the middle of yeah. the lake. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a little ramp there for her to be like, mm. So Mike then pulls up, seeing them in the water, takes off his shirt. It's him. Oh, he's so sexy. Yes, sir. Also, bitch better take off those jeans because he doesn't want to get those wet either. And also, you pray you don't want to be walking around in wet underwear. Yeah, no, Mike might as well. If he's got time to stop and take off that shirt. Wet underwear? That, to be fair, Mike didn't actually stop. He just sort of ran and ripped it off himself. Oh, my God. Ugh. I flood my basement. <laughs> he then dives into the water. He swims Ian back to land, who apparently was gripping onto Mike very tightly, but I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I would. If I were Ian, I'd be clinging onto Mike even when we got back Save to me. land. Save me, Mike. <laughs> and Susan is delighted that Mike saved the cheese that she got from the market. She's so happy. She's like, he saved the cheese. <laughs> he saved our cheese. You still want that swamp cheese, girl? Oh, swamp cheese. Swamp... I mean, oh, dis- disgusting. Was the bag tied up? Maybe it gives it more, like, flavour. The, think... the swampiness, it adds to that smell. That's disgusting. That is vile. Cheese as it is, is awful. Joel doesn't like cheese. I hate cheese. Um, but I'm, I think the bag was tied up. But certainly these bags aren't waterproof. <laughs> so... <laughs> they, they might be waterproof to a degree. Like... Yeah top layer water yeah (laughs) not like under the lake (laughs) so i I, I don't know what really happened oh and also mike says it's a good thing i was following you and he like smiles as he (laughs) walks off and insert that little michelle visage gif it was such a burn yeah yeah (laughs) it was so funny mike was sharp with that he was very quick-witted mike's very quick-witted in this episode i'm loving this new mike oh my god mike for the past few episodes has been on his game right he's top like quality top quality topless however love it i think he got a bit too big for his bridges when um he was betting on susan mm. but you know we'll, we'll cover that another time <laughs> so lynette has just finished with an interview and it doesn't look like it's gone well Andrew asks what she expects when they're offering $8.50 an hour, and Lynette remarks that, well, that's what Andrew gets paid, and he seems happy with it. And Andrew says that's because he's doing the beer delivery guy. And it's all about the perks. Also, I'm very happy for Andrew. He's getting some in a small suburban town. He is. Love that. Good for you, Andrew. But the assistant manager is going to be getting the same pay as the other staff. I thought that was a bit weird. I was going to question that. I would also like to quickly just derail back to your previous point. $8.50 an hour is actually £6.14. Yeah, it's 
Servers we know get paid awfully. Even for in inflation, the US. that's quite bad. Yeah, servers get paid awfully in the US because they're very re- heavily reliant upon tips. But but an assistant manager. Yeah, assistant manager. Oh, we, that's what we pay you, and you seem happy enough. Like, why aren't they paying management the same wage? Like, why are they? Sorry, paying management the same wage as servers? Not discrediting the servers at all, but management are paid higher as they have more responsibility. She then takes the next guy for his interview, Rick Coletti, who is really handsome, by the way. He is very handsome, yes. And Sparks are just instantly flying with him and Lynette, in my opinion. Mm. He's charming. He has experience. He clearly has chemistry with Lynette. He can spell. They're gelling in a manager, assistant manager way, but also possibly in a flirty way, Mm. like a meet-cute way, maybe. Yeah. It is concerning, though, that he's worked at a four-star restaurant as a sous chef, and now he wants to work at a pizzeria. Also, we'd like to point out, Tom and Lynette should not be owning and opening an Italian restaurant when they can't even spell the word calzone. That's really embarrassing. It's not a hard word. No, it's not. They spelled it calzone. There was no E at the end. But calzone, you just spell it how it sounds. Can we stop acting like it's the 80s? It's the early noughties. Google was a thing. <laughs> you could just, if you weren't sure how to spell it, you could have just Googled it or crossed the road to another Italian restaurant because it's America and they have Italian restaurants on every sodding corner. So <laughs> just go and just eat. Exactly. Later on, Tom and Karen are having problems with the kids when Lynette walks in over the moon that she's found someone good to take the job. This is when it comes out that Rick is actually an ex-cocaine addict, which is presumably why he lost his job in the four-star restaurant, and Tom puts his foot down, not literally, saying they can't hire him. I mean, if I was Lynette, I'd be like, no, Tom, we can't talk about it later because you can't move, so... Even if I hire the guy after you've said no, what are you going to do? Walk down to the restaurant and stop me? Oh, no, wait, you can't. So I'm going to hire him because he's the only one that has come through these doors that knows how to fucking spell. Fair enough. But that aside, what are your views on I believe... turning away ex-addicts like that? Uh, no, I, I'm completely against that. You shouldn't be turning away ex-addicts. Especially, well, you shouldn't be turning away anybody, really. But he's already told Lynette that he's been clean for nearly a year. Providing that he can keep that up, I think that it's perfectly fine for Lynette and Tom to follow up with that and keep on top of it. But um, I don't agree with turning him away, now. Okay, I was just wondering. I thought I'd put it out there. I feel the same way, to be honest. Oh, okay, good. So Victor brings Gabby home after another date. She says that he's actually a great dancer and he really wants to sleep with her, (laughs) but she says no. He thinks they should, as they're going to eventually anyway, and Gabby says that every time he says that, eventually gets a little bit further away. So we know that Victor is now asking Gabby for sex after every date. Yeah. Presumably. (laughs) Kudos to Gabby for holding out this long, though, and being patient. Women have all the power. Yeah, she's taking it slow and I love that for her. Absolutely love that. That is lessons learned. After this rejection, Victor says that the chase is half the fun anyway, and Gabby says that he'll be adjusting that figure way down after she eventually says yes. Half the fun. (laughs) So yeah, no, love that for Gabby. Susan is lying in bed having a midnight snack of cheese and crackers, and Ian then hops in with her and they start making out. Before the undressing begins, Ian notices a thank you present for Mike, and he basically begins to spiral, thinking that, if anything, he was the one that did the saving as he made Susan swerve out of the road and avoid the deer by screaming. I would like to point out, Ian's like, oh, you would have died, there would have been an antler through your brain. Actually, Ian, it wasn't a deer, it was a doe. There was no antler on that animal whatsoever. 
And Susan just laughs at that. Yeah, I know. And she's like, okay, yeah. Like, I even rewound it to double check to <laughs> see if it was actually a deer. And no, it was a doe. And doe probably have very small antlers, but certainly not long enough to pierce your brain mm. through your eye. Susan says that it's okay to need help sometimes, and Ian takes this as an opportunity to prove how masculine he is, and he starts vigorously kissing her. The camera cuts away from them, and after panning away, it turns out that Ian couldn't quite perform the task at hand. He doesn't want to talk about it, and so they sit there in awkward silence until Susan offers him some cheese. It happens to lots of guys. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, admittedly, it does happen to a lot of guys. And the more you worry about it, the worse it gets. Yeah. The problem is, maybe you shouldn't be trying to be all masculine to prove a point when you're about to have sex. Mm. And also, Mike's the one that saved the cheese. Mm. Yes, Mike saved the cheese. So anyway, Susan, eating cheese before bed is not good for you. And to be fair, you also just shouldn't eat in bed. Maybe... Wait, you're not going to do trivia about how cheese is bad for bed. I am. But you know that I do this. Yeah, I know. So, in an article published by www.dreams.co.uk back in 2014, but it has most recently been edited in 2021, the website states the following. In 2005, the British Cheese Board carried out a study in which a number of people were given a three-ounce piece of cheese to eat just before bedtime. Different people were given different types of cheese and a report was then taken to record the dreams and nightmares of all the participants to detect any patterns. Overall, 75% of the participants said they slept pretty well each night. Additionally, most of them said that they could clearly remember their dreams. And then this led to the conclusion that the essential amino acids in cheese had its effects on the cheese eaters by stabilising their sleep patterns and reducing stress levels. Oh, I knew that cheese gives you nightmares thing was probably some sort of Chinese whispers rubbish. It was also pointed out that different cheeses eaten resulted in different types of dreams. So cheddar cheese tended to produce dreams about celebrities... And people noted sitting in a pub with Katie Price, playing football with Paul Gascon, cast members from popular soaps like Corrie, Coronation <laughs> Street for our people that aren't UK soap watchers, Emma Dale and so on. They also made an appearance. I'm a cheddar cheese eater, mature Red- cheddar, so I'm going to have to try and keep track of that. Red Leicester caused nostalgic dreams that often related to childhood, whilst Lancashire cheese produced dreams about work, which mm, I guess could be deemed a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> from most people. Um, Stilton cheese produced the most vivid, unusual, and strange dreams. And people noted talking toys, lifts that move sideways, soldiers fighting each other with kittens instead of guns. So very off-the-wall dreams. So almost like you've dropped some LSD or something. So maybe whoever said that cheese gives you nightmares was a Stilton lover. Maybe. that sounds a bit horrific. But I guess you could also argue that people that work in very creative outlets so you know writers film writers and things like that could eat stilton before bed to try and get some creative inspiration yeah stephen king from the 80s stop the crack (laughs) eat the cheese (laughs) (laughs) of all the cheeses eaten chester cheese led to a peaceful night's sleep without any dreams at all so apparently if you want a peaceful night's sleep with no interruptions you eat cheshire cheese okay i will say this however though do bear in mind that this survey was conducted by a body that promotes cheese in the UK, as in the uh. Cheese Board, um, and one that goes by the wonderful name of the British Cheese Board. Uh, so there's no doubt that actually all of this could just be, and is most likely, a clever piece of marketing. But as a scientific study, it you know has 
flaws because there's no control group. So we don't know whether people who didn't eat cheese in the evenings had fewer bad dreams or what have you. They uh, only mm, gave people cheese. There was no there was no person that didn't eat cheese that they were also recording. So it's possibly more of just a fun marketing ploy from the cheese board to get people to eat different types of cheese if they want different yeah. styles of dreams because there's no control group so it's like well we're not lying no but i found it interesting i did do, try and do some more research to see if any more legitimate studies have been done but i could only find this like every whenever i looked i could only find people talking about different cheeses giving different types of dreams oh well that's a shame well scientists out there if you're a scientist come on let's do some cheese science we all want it i'm not fast you don't have to do cheese science for my behalf i won't be eating cheese before bed <laughs> but it's fun to, it's a, it's a fun study it is a fun study it was fun it was fun to read about so Edie approaches carlos and they have a little argument as she asks where he gets off telling people she's bad in bed and basically thinks that she's lying after all the moaning she did but she says that it was because he was slamming into her breasts it felt like you were hiding from the border patrol <laughs> she starts to walk off until carlos orders a rematch and Edie takes him up on it so they start to have some really rough making out, pushing each other into all over the place and until they end up on top of the dinner table, which collapses underneath them. This is what happens when people who do rough play play without knowledge or awareness of the dangers. It's like Edie just sat at home and watched Fifty Shades of Grey and was like, yeah, sure, let's do that. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> even check if the legs underneath this table would support our weight. Or if, you know, I left a fork on the table. Oof. That was painful. That also, looks painful. I would have thought they'd have wanted to keep this whole, you know... Carlos CD having sex together on the down low yet here they are the two of them yelling at each other about how bad they both were in bed and then on the yeah in broad daylight and Carlos looks damn good in that tennis uniform he does look good in the tennis uniform I might have to play the new sting here as well oh yeah it's him oh he's so sexy yes sir they end up in the hospital and the nurse asks how they both got so banged up and Edie straight up tells the guy bad sex oh my god they then decide that they gave it a good go, but they should stick to being friends. Yeah, I mean, let's just go back to being friends, guys, and then we can forget this whole storyline ever happened. And we never <laughs> need to ever talk about it ever, ever again. Yeah, it was an interesting one. It was. And it never needs to be discussed. <laughs> so Gabby attends Victor's campaign rally and she reads a magazine, expecting to be bored, but she actually ends up completely enthralled by the whole thing. The cheering crowd for Victor, his confidence, and she decides that he's got her vote. She then approaches him after the rally and pulls him away from the crowd so that she can start making out with him in the limo, and they take off their clothes. Clyde puts up the partition and Gabby asks for loud music before they drive off. I don't believe it's because Victor's impressed her. I believe it's because Gabby sat there and suddenly she's imagined herself as Flotus, and that's what's given her her lady boner. Right? She's just like, they like him. They're going to vote for him. I'm going to be the mayor's wife. And then she'll be like, and then from mayor, it's president. And she's like, I'm going to be the next Michelle Obama. I'm going to be the first lady. I'm going to be the first Hispanic first lady. And then that poor limo driver. He doesn't seem to mind. I bet he used to, it probably happened a lot. Yeah. As soon as he's like, can you put up the partition? He's like, you got it, boss. Mm, yeah, it's just really uncomfortable. Like, I'd hate to be driving around knowing there are people having sex in the back and I'm not included. I mean, that's most of my teenage experience. Everyone's having sex in cars and I'm in the front driving. It's a metaphor. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? That's gross. I mean, my experience is having sex in cars, but 
There was never a driver. <laughs> I was doing the driver. I was going to say, was that a metaphor? As in, no one was actually putting their weight. <laughs> that too, actually. There he wasn't, wasn't. He wasn't good at junctions. The metaphor was that there was no sex in cars. It was me at home. There was no driver. <laughs> I was alone. Tom is being completely insufferable and demanding Karen for pie. She tells him that she's unloading the dishwasher, so he'll have to wait. But Tom says that they pay her good money, so he wants his pie when he asks for it. Disgusting. This is the last straw for Karen, who then shows up at the pizzeria with all of the kids. And I mean all of them. You got Mm. Parker, the twins, Penny, Kayla. Yeah. God, there's so many kids. So many kids. Oh, shit. How are they doing this? Five. Five kids. And she tells Lynette that she's quit. It's quite a sad scene then, as Lynette begs Karen to stick around and that she'll talk to Tom, but Karen says that she's just too old to get dragged down with this too. (laughs) Five kids are enough, but your husband makes six, and that's where I draw the line. (laughs) Lynette then looks around and sees the twins behind the bar spraying drinks into their mouths, and she drops her head onto Penny's. She looks, I feel so awful for Lynette. She just, this is like probably the final straw for her. And I swear to God... This is just so... Tom's whole mentality and attitude is just disgusting. I know he's going through his own shit. He's probably feeling useless and emasculated and blah, blah, blah. But still, you don't talk to people that way. No, it's such a typical man thing. Like, oh, I'm a man. I'm in pain. So I'm going to act like a grumpy ass. And all for a pie? Where's my pie? Like, calm down. She's an old lady. Mm. Just let her do it in her own time. Yeah. It's like you've got to be somewhere. <laughs> no. I'd be like, you want your pie so badly? Get up and get it. So Lynette... I deliberately put it on the side just out of reach. That's evil. <laughs> yeah, at least it's not Annie Wilkes who's looking after you right now. Exactly, yeah. If I was Karen, I'd take a sledgehammer to his legs. Right. Lynette gets home with the kids and Tom is instantly apologising to Lynette, telling her that he'll apologise to Karen first thing tomorrow. She then suggests that maybe he should also apologise to the customer who found Lego in their pizza. And she sits down beside Tom and he gives her a little shoulder massage and she tells him about how horrible the day was. It's a prize. They won. Excuse me, ma'am, there's a Lego in my pizza. Congratulations. You've won a free lemonade. (laughs) And then you can call the twins who are at the drink pump. Spray in their mouth. Tom then bizarrely tells Lynette that maybe she needs a good seeing to to make her feel better and that they should she should come back downstairs after the kids have gone to bed. And we've got a clip for this. But you can't bend at the waist and that pretty much leaves the heavy lifting to me. Trust me, if you get us to the finish line, I will cross it. Ew! Is that why you apologize? Just so I service you? Honey, I have been trapped in this bed all day long. I'm I'm bored. I'm miserable. Can't you do this one little thing for me? I have been doing everything I can to keep our heads above water. I can't do you too. How she goes just so close to him when she says that. She's so angry. She's literally like right in his face like, I can't do you too. I know he's just a man and it's a very one-track mind kind of thing, but what was he thinking? I don't know. The fact that he, honest to God, has this mentality of, oh, I'm really sorry you've had a really bad day, babe. Why don't you come downstairs and toss me off later and that'll make you feel better. But also, <laughs> you've had a bad day because of me. Yeah. Like, I swear to God, that is the only reason he apologised to Lynette. Because he was sat there in his bed like, oh, I could have a wank, but then I've got nothing to clean myself up with. Because I can't get anything. <laughs> yes. So I can't have a wank. 
Oh, it was such a vile scene. And I think he thought he was coming across as really sexy when he's like, if you get me to the finish line, I will cross it. That's just so... And then, like, Lynette and me at the same time when I was watching the episode were like, ew. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's so gross. That is not arousing in any way. Don't, guys, if we have any men listening to this, don't (laughs) don't ever say that to anybody, man or woman. I mean, a sex pun is funny when it's funny, but... Yeah. He's then like, I've been sitting here miserable. Can I do this one little thing for me? One little thing? Yeah, I know. The fact that she's literally there trying to keep their heads above water and she's actually found a decent manager and Tom said no. Barely holding it together. Like, girl is barely holding it together. Like, the skin of her teeth. So she is literally holding on to this thing for dear life, trying to maintain it and keep it above water. And Tom's there like... Oh, I'm stuck in bed. This limp noodle needs to be thrown away. <laughs> limp noodle. Yeah. Vile. Yeah. Throw it away, girl. Throw it away. I hope you kept the receipt. Return it. Take him back to the hospital. Be like, I don't know what you did with his surgery, but he's been broken ever since. <laughs> what like... did you do to his brain? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently when Gabby sleeps with someone new, she likes to see how quickly they begin to obsess over her. So when she hasn't received any voicemails from Victor after a couple of days... Or has it just been a day? How long has it been? I don't know. I feel like it's only been a day. I couldn't quite remember the track of time. She starts to obsess instead. Susan and Edie come over for a poker game, but apparently it's been cancelled as Lynette's at work. So after they have a quick gawp at the guy fixing Gabby's closet, they start talking about Gabby's limo sex and how Victor still hasn't called. Gabby reminisces about how women used to have all the power with sex, and Edie says that she still does as she makes men wait for it. And Susan says that it's true. She makes them wait in a room with magazines and an aquarium. And Edie tells Susan how she's missed their friendship. Amazing moment. I liked that moment. It's a cute little moment. It's true. She has a little waiting room with magazines and aquarium. <laughs> I've missed our friendship. Clearly, they're over the um, house burning. And the stealing of Mike. House burnings. Susan then says Gabby should just tell him the truth. But Edie thinks that she should make him jealous instead. Gabby asks what she should do to make him jealous, and then the muscular repairman walks back in and asks if she needs anything else, which gives Gabby an idea. I mean, can someone clue me in as to what sex in different styles of limos mean? Because that was also mentioned in this scene. What do you mean? Gabby was like, we had limo sex, and then Edie was like, mm, I love limo sex, town car or stretch, and then Gabby's just like, oh, stretch, of course, I'm not a complete slut. Um, I'm <laughs> like, so what's, what's the difference? Why is town car limo slut and stretch classy? And what is the classiest limo to have sex in? You know, I really wish I knew because when they were saying it, I was like, it's probably a funny line, but I don't really get it. <laughs> so I want to know. So guy, listeners out there, if you've had limo sex, if you've been bougie and fortunate enough to have limo sex, or you just know the types of limo sex, then clue me in as to what the classiest limo to have sex in is. Yeah. Let us know your theories. Yeah. Also, if you are a limo and people have had sex inside of you... Let us know. Who do you think is the slightest? And also... And I say slightest with um, quotation marks. Yeah. And also, as a limo, let us know who, like, the most famous person that's had sex in you is. Mm. So Gabby walks into Victor's debate with her, well, the repair guy, and she takes a seat at the front. Victor, at first, looks quite happy to see her until he sees her put her hand on his leg and he starts getting pretty distracted from the debate. They then start kissing, and Victor completely loses focus, and also he loses support of the crowd in that moment. And Gabby takes this moment as a victory and does a walkout. I mean, it's very, like, queen moment. That was, like, very checkmate. Mm. 
because Victor's move was check, and then Gabby was like, okay, you've checked me, well, check this. Gabby is not handling the one who is obsessed. No. But I know the point of this scene was, you know, Gabby making Victor jealous and getting his attention back or whatever, but can we just divert the point of the scene to what they were actually talking about at this debate? Because I was listening to what they were talking about, and it's very concerning. Why? Penalising people for using sex workers. And Victor's way of going about it is to set up cameras to capture people that hire a sex worker. And the actual mayor who's there arguing the case is just like, I think that's a blatant violation of trust. And then Victor was just like, oh, well, you know, if you're scared of your privacy, just wear a hat and keep your head down, you'll be fine. Ha 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 ha. But I was just like, excuse me, but that is a massive violation of trust. And that is very big brother. Yeah, I think it's kind of concerning, but um, maybe it's meant to be an early glimpse into Victor's character. Maybe. So Lynette is working at the restaurant and it's a little bit chaotic as it's a busy night. She accidentally walks into another member of staff who drops a bunch of plates. And on top of all of this, there's a customer calling for her who she says that she'll be with as soon as she can. While all of this is going on, Rick from earlier approaches Lynette about the interview as he hasn't heard anything and he's hoping that she's got some good news for him. Once again, they do have some chemistry. I think some sparks are flying. Rick is being a little cheeky. But Lynette tells him that, as good as he is, she can't hire him because of Tom and the previous drug addiction. Rick pleads his case saying that he'll do a drug test every week, anything they want, and that he just needs this job. And before Lynette can reply, the man who was screaming for Lynette earlier literally screams for Lynette like an impatient child. I think Rick is pleading a good case here. What does he say again? He's like, you can do a drug test every week. I'll do yeah. I'll do whatever. Yeah, he's willing to show and prove that he is remaining sober. That is proof enough, I would say. Yeah, I mean, a drug test every week. Yeah, which I think is excessive. But he's offering it. I think yeah. that shows his devotion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, give the guy a chance. Give a girl a break. <laughs> give a girl a break. So she apologizes to Rick and heads over to the man who tells Lynette that he doesn't like his calzone and he wants a new one. Lynette tells him that they'll make a new one, but the kitchen's a little backed up, and the man very rudely responds by telling her that it's not his problem. He doesn't care if she has to go back there and make it herself. Everyone notices this, and it's very awkward. I felt a bit awkward watching it. And Lynette breaks down and says that she can't do this anymore, and she starts just crying in front of the man. And Rick comes over to take control of the situation. This really is retail in a nutshell, and every single person that has ever worked a retail or hospitality or server like service industry job in any way, shape or form will understand Lynette's breakdown here. And they will all have this universal disgust and hatred for this douchebag customer that comes in and thinks he knows it all because he's a customer. And so he has little respect for anybody there and actually doesn't impart any sort of wisdom as to what can be done to change the problem. You know, even Lynette's like, oh, okay, what's wrong with it? And he's like, doesn't matter. I don't know. It just sucks. Yeah. That doesn't answer anything. That doesn't help me in any way, shape or form. So you better read his mind and fix it. Yep. I completely agree. I am. Um, I've had these customers before. Yep. It's awful. So um, I've gone through my fair share of asshole customers. For someone, if anyone listening hasn't worked in retail, this isn't fiction. No. <laughs> this situation happens all the time. On a regular basis, all the time. And as an employee, you're just expected to smile yeah. and take it. And be okay with it. because Otherwise, you, it's bad customer service. Yeah. If you argue back in any way, shape, or form, you are then the one penalised. Right. The problem is then even when Lynette, like, 
breaks down and he's like, what is this? And I'm just like, the problem is Arnold, because that's his name, because I paused it on Amazon Prime and it told me his character name and his character name is Arnold. Why does his character have a name? I don't know. He's a day player. Yeah. And the problem is, Arnold, is that you're an entitled ass that clearly has zero respect for people and zero understanding that people's lives are more than just work and they may be going through personal shit but remain professional until some prick like you comes along and ruins it all and pushes them over the edge. I do like that. Um, <laughs> I reckon it was really fun to play Arnold, though. Like, what, a, what an experience to just be the Karen. Yeah. For once. Yeah, just I know. Just be the Karen. And you, you, you're able to get away with being the Karen. Like, I'm cast as the Karen. This is great. He was actually really good, though. And then at the end, when he's like, what is this? Yeah, I was I like, that did make me... <laughs> I laughed about that line. The problem that we have... I can't really speak for America, but I'm assuming America is very much in the same boat as the UK, is that the customer is always right mentality is flawed, toxic, and wrong. To the point where, even in legal terms, the company can be at fault for something that is completely not their fault. Yeah, because, let's face it, the customer is hardly ever right. And here's the thing with that. How can the customer always be right when we're meant to be the experts in the field? It doesn't make no sense. We're trained in this field. We have the knowledge, okay? The customer is hardly ever right, but you can't tell them that they're wrong. Right? This cappuccino's got too much foam. I shouldn't have foam on my cappuccino. No, you should. <laughs> it, it, that's what a cappuccino is. Right? Right? So, oh my god, honestly. My black coffee hasn't got milk. I mean, everyone's had them. I mean, I've been assaulted at work by a customer. I've, I have I've, I have been on the brink of crying and yeah. breaking down and feeling my, my skin heat up and shaking like... Mm. I've had a customer order a faggy latte from me. Mm. It happens a lot. So Rick takes away the calzone and starts to get the kitchen guys to start preparing a new one. And when Andrew's like, who are you? Do you work here now? Lynette gives him the nod of approval. So Rick is hired. Yeah, that's how Rick gets the job. Rick literally walks in, takes control of a situation when she needs it. And I mean, what a guy. Hero. He saved her. You have to give him the job now, right? Yeah, I know. After that? You can't say no now. Would any other guy hiring for this role have done that? Or would he have just stood there like... Yeah, probably. And, like, I'm sorry, but you can't go home to Tom and tell him this story and Tom be like, I still don't want Rick working for us. Oh, but you know he would. Yeah, I know. You know he would. Like, if I came home and told you this story of how I behaved this way and someone stepped up and helped me out, you would be happy. Right? I'd be like, what a decent bloke. Yeah. That sounded well straight. What a decent bloke. Yeah, he's top lad. <laughs> top lad. <laughs> <laughs> to all of our retail workers out there, or service staff, hang in there, guys. Hang in there. Our hearts go out to you. We know how you feel. We know what it's like. And to everybody that is not worked in retail or isn't working in retail and may have forgotten what it was like, it's been a while. Stay patient. Stay patient. And the least you can do is say to a person, have a good day. So, Susan approaches Ian in bed again. Why does this happen so much? Why are there scenes always in bed? I don't know. And she, the, the hasn't girl... this happened for like three episodes in a row now? Like scenes with them two in bed? Yeah. Is this, the... is, do they never hang out anywhere? And the girl is bending over backwards for this man. She tells him that she's thinking about London and she thinks it's a great idea. So, they start to make out and Ian says that she, Susan should sell the house. But she says that she doesn't want to because everyone that she loves is on this street. And suddenly, Ian... <laughs> just isn't in the mood anymore. And he's all, he's acting really grumpy. He, like, pushes her off of him. And he's just like, I'm not in the mood. All she said, guys, was, everyone I love is on this street. And, oh, by, by everyone, you mean Mike. 
what's happening? Right? It's just, it's such a, it's such a 180 flip, like in, in the space of literally five seconds. Oh, I hate Ian. He's so vile. <laughs> so Susan asks what's wrong with Ian, which is something we would all like to know. <laughs> and he just says he isn't used to being questioned about his sex drive and bets that Mike was always ready to go. And like, oh, I bet he was too. Oh. I bet he was, Ian. <laughs> and now realizing that Ian acting all grumpy is about Mike again, Susan's had enough. She gets out of bed. Ian says, Susan! As if Susan's the one being unreasonable. Right. (laughs) So Susan gets out of bed. She's frustrated because she spent the past year trying to prove her love. And Ian is the one who is obsessed with Mike. I love that she points that out. She's like, you're obsessed with him. You're obsessed with me. (laughs) Because he's the one that's obsessed with Mike, not Susan. He's always talking about her, him. He says he doesn't trust the guy, and Susan points out that she needs him to trust her, and he doesn't. So she tells him that she isn't going to London anymore, realising that it's just a way to um, get her away from Mike, and says that if he brings up Mike one more time, then they are over, and she does a walkout! You know, I'm going to need to stop. I need to get Sting for does a walkout, because I've said it every single episode have you <laughs> recently i think i started saying so and so did a walkout and then it's happened for, like a lot you you'll get a sting for it and then you'll never say it again i know right it'd be sod's law it'd be sod's law um so i have literally been waiting for this scene since ian came on screen because i know it's coming i know just bounce i was at the back of my hand i knew the scene was coming and i've been so excited to get to it just to watch her rip him rip him to shreds and she says what we're all thinking yeah you're obsessed with mike you don't trust me if you mention him one more time <laughs> yeah oh i loved it it was such a powerful moment and i was like susan you're my favorite right now <laughs> which she... is a sentence i think we'd never think we would say mm. she then spots mike's thank you present and takes it over to him mike is thankful for the gift but asks susan if she's okay because they're meant to be it's really sad and because, he notices yeah she's she's clearly like struggling in this moment you can see it in her face she's very good yeah she she says that she's fine but that her and ian had a little thing and suddenly they end up making out and you can hear the crowd cheer we have been waiting for this what the hell mike what the hell he just went in there yeah he really did oh my god the drama And normally i call a person out for doing something like unsolicited like that but i'm cheering with the rest of the crowd at this moment i'm like yeah Look, I know it's meant to be a cheer moment, but it's really not a cheer moment. This is just going to make Susan's life so much harder. No, it's pushing her in the right direction. (laughs) Susan getting married to Ian would have made her life so much harder because she would have realised later down the line that she still loves Mike, and then she would have had a divorce to have to go through. Yeah. With a prenup. But she could try and get the the house. Uh, (laughs) Oh no, she didn't sign the prenup. This shocks Susan, who runs back home where Ian is waiting in the kitchen. Ian says that he's been an insecure idiot and that Susan was right the whole time and asks if she'll give him another chance. And they kiss and make up, but Susan is looking pretty confused. Yeah. I wonder if Ian can taste Mike on her lips. I love that. Just the minute this happens, he's like, no, I was wrong. It's like, oh, God. He, like, he, <laughs> he kisses Susan and then he's like, mmm, Mike. <laughs> or if it was like orangey because of the orange stand or what no what would have been a gag they could have completely not had susan you know realizing that feelings have awoken for mike again and it could have come out that ian is secretly gay and loves mike that would have been such a twist that would have been a proper twist and that explains the obsession and so then he kisses susan and then susan's like feelings for mike are, are still there as well and then he kisses susan and then he he just mutters under his breath mm, mike and then susan's like what 
And then they have to fight over him. And then they fight over Mike. <laughs> so we now get a great montage of Gabby coming down the stairs in different outfits and listening to her voicemail messages as she now has a new one from Victor every time. <laughs> Eventually, after many apology voicemails and bouquets of flowers, Victor shows up with more flowers and a in-person apology, but tells her that what she did was quite vicious. Mm-hmm. Gabby pretty much tells him that she's been through enough stuff with love recently, and if she's going to open herself up like this, then she wants to be worshipped. And Victor says that he will worship her, but she needs to stop treating this relationship like it's a battleground, and tells her he's in love with her. She seems a little surprised, and he says his campaign is about winning, but this is about happiness, which was a pretty nice line. He goes to leave so that she can think about it, but Gabby grabs him and starts kissing him on the porch, highlighting her bare hands and lack of metaphorical boxing gloves. Yeah, like, just, it's been three weeks, girl. Like, what, three weeks, maybe, I'm guessing? They're not, it's not that long. Yeah. They've not been seeing each other that long. They've not even had sex yet. I know they have. Mm. They had sex in the limo. Yeah. Where are you going with this? Just, it's just three weeks is not long enough to be able to say I love you. Yeah, well, if you feel it, you feel it. And they have got great chemistry. They do have great chemistry. But uh, I, I I, don't know. Like, it was just... I was, it made me uncomfortable. I was like, love? 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 <laughs> I was thinking throughout the episode, most of Gabby's reactions do seem to come from a bit of an insecure place. And yeah. you can tell it's because of what she's gone through, primarily from her past relationships and how they've affected her. Because she had Carlos ignoring her for years. John was obsessing over her. And then Zach was manipulating her and using her feelings against her to get closer to her. And that's just the relationships we've had on the show. Exactly. She's had a hard time. So it's no surprise that she's been reacting to Victor in these very yeah. not healthy ways. <laughs> and plus, the queen is, is, she's a proper queen. She's there like, I, I know what I'm worth. That's like, that's bold move right there. But I think it was nice that Victor kind of spotted this and slapped her back into place basically <laughs> no victor's like yeah i know what you're worth nice too way. yeah but this isn't a battleground and you need to like give me Chill. a chance man yeah no you slapped her back into place but i mean it in like a nice way yeah not as in like not in a an abusive way no not in an abusive way and like a girl rein it in like rein it in love. rein it in you're, you're overreacting to to this situation this is just it's... another opportunity for gabby to have some growth yeah and to move past her past experiences with relationships and become stronger mm. and, and maybe not treat relationships like she has done in the past with Carlos. She is stronger than yesterday. What is that referring to? Is that... Brittany. Oh, okay. I was like, is it Lizzie McGuire? Or Thank is you, Miss Brittany. <laughs> anyway, Edie has just put Travis to bed and heads back downstairs to Carlos. They're going through photos of the day because apparently they've just spent the whole day together and they went to the zoo. Cute. Um, so they're going through photos together with Travers and talking about how they all look like a really great little family. Someone even thought that Travers had Carlos's eyes, thinking Carlos was his dad. They talk about family and Carlos says that there's nothing better and they look into each other's eyes and they have a bit of a moment before they start making out. We then cut to them together in bed where they have both finally had good sex. Yeah. I don't really know what the difference was with this sex and the last sex, except this one was just... I think what's bonding them is that they're not trying to have sex over having sex. Yeah. Like, they've actually found something to emotionally bond over. As opposed to just having sex for the Slamming their sake bodies of, together. Yeah, having sex for the sake of having sex. Yeah. Like, there's actually a bit of connection there now. I mm. think that's it. 
What do you think? Do you think that's it? No, I do think that's it. But I would also like to point out, you don't always have to have a connection to have sex. No, of course not. But when you're a passionate man, like yeah. Carlos, in a previous season, Gabby said that he needs a connection to have sex and that he yeah. wouldn't cheat before he cheated on her with Jamais. Yeah. But there's still, I think there was still a bit of truth in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do you feel about them having good sex? I'm not happy about it. It's a good step forward. No, it's a bad step forward. <laughs> it's a bad, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's not a step forward. It's a step to the side. It's a trap door. Yeah, they've slided to the left. They're doing the cha-cha slide, but there is no one hop now. There's no one hop now. They're not hopping. Sophie Ellis Baxter has thrown butter on that dance floor. It's murder on the dance floor. Yeah. Better not kill the groove. <laughs> and they have McFallen. So Tom is on the phone with Karen and has just apologised for everything. Karen says that she's had better apologies, but that she will accept it anyway. And uh, she's happy that it must have been hard for him, which I loved. Yeah, (laughs) That must have been really hard for you. And that makes her happy. (laughs) She then tells him that she will carry on with the babysitting of the kids and of Tom and hangs up the phone before talking to Gilbert again, saying that maybe Lynette and Tom have a good marriage after all, but they'll never have what her and Gilbert had. Karen, no ma'am. I'm sorry, but one apology does not a good marriage make, Karen. Like, no. You can't sit there and be like, oh, Tom's apologised, so they must have a really good marriage. What Karen is basically trying to say here is, oh, Lynette can whip Tom into shape. That's a good marriage. Yeah, I mean, it is. that is proof of a good marriage. But she'll never be able to whip him into shape like I could with you, Gilbert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary Alice ends the episode narrating about passion and how it's a force so powerful that we all remember it long after it's faded away. She says it's, a drive so alluring, it can push us into the arms of unexpected lovers. And we see a shot of Edie and Carlos having sex. A sensation so overwhelming, it can knock down walls we've built to protect our hearts. And we see a shot of Gabby and Victor having sex. A feeling so intense, it resurfaces, even though we try so hard to keep it buried. And we see a shot of Susan and Ian having sex. And she then ends by saying that of all the emotions, passion is the one that gives us reason to live and an excuse to commit all sorts of crimes. And we see a shot of Karen getting sex. Nope, (laughs) not quite. Getting an ice lolly out of the freezer, which has a frozen corpse inside. Dun dun dun. Gag. Like that. that, This is the moment. She is the moment. (laughs) I remember seeing this and. It's like, who is the corpse? Is it Gilbert? Is it some rando? Is she a serial killer? Exactly, right. I remember watching, when I watched this episode, start taking the notes, and I saw the beginning when she was sat in the cellar and talking to Gilbert, and I was like, gag, it's this episode. It's come around so quickly. You just know it when you see that, yeah, that yeah. first bit. Like, you just know it when you see that moment where she's talking to Gilbert, and now I know. Like, it wouldn't oh. be a surprise if she was a serial killer, because they seem to have a lot of serial killers in this neighbourhood. They do, the but excuse me, Karen, if you're a serial killer, take out Tom right, and Ian. And that's where the episode ends. Yeah. So, we're now going to move on to our next segment, where Joel is going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment of the episode. So, Joel, what do you have for the gayest moment? So my award for the gayest moment... goes to Ian for holding on to Mike for dear life because I don't know a single gay man that would not do that with Mike any (laughs) opportunity that they got you're holding on pretty tight oh I was just so scared (laughs) right I'm I'm still clinging on to Mike and he's walking back to his car (laughs) (laughs) don't let me go (laughs) so that well done Ian for getting gayest moment and also for just being straight up obsessed with him yeah you're obsessed with him you're just obsessed with Mike you're obsessed with me 
And what do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment... <laughs> ...goes to Mike for ripping off that shirt and doing that god-awful dive into the water. Oh, the flop. That was a bad dive, Mr... James Denton. That was, was a flop. That was a flop. That was that was not the dive. And you're probably not a professional diver, so you know, that's why. But it's such a straight thing to do. Like, oh yeah, there's people that need saving. Rip off the shirt right. and run. Was Tom <laughs> Daly not available for the dive double? <laughs> right, you could have had Tom Daly as the dive double. And um, though so well done, Mike, for getting straightest moment. Well done to Mike and Ian for this week's awards. And so now we move on to B and his segment for Best and worst parent. Right? The moment that everyone's been waiting for. Yeah, I know. The best part of the episode. It is. So, B, who do you have for your best parent? My award for... Best parent of the episode. Goes to Edie, as she has clearly taught Travis how to pour a beer correctly. So she's teaching him a skill, a trade, if you will. Hey, we both, we all, I say we both, we all, viewers, just a collective eye roll, please. We all know B's done that just to piss me off. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who else would I give it to? I, mean, I don't know. She's teaching, she is teaching him valuable things, you know? Yeah. He can go in- into a world knowing how to do this. Fabulous. Okay. Well, okay, sure. It's difficult to do the parenting when there's really only like one parent in the lane right now. Mm-hmm. With no Brie or anything, it's tough. So, uh, who do you have for your worst parent of the episode? My award for... Worst parent of the episode... Goes to Tom for nearly making them lose their babysitter at probably one of the most crucial time in the Scarvo lives so far. Yes, I agree with that completely. Because he was being such a baby. He was being a baby. He was being worse than Penny. And to be a, to be a parent, you can't be a baby. Yeah. It's illegal. Mm-hmm. Okay, bravo Tom. Congratulations to Tom and to Edie for those awards. So that was the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. If people want to find us on our socials, Joel, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. You can also email us. Our, our email is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com and all of the artwork is done by Louis, who you can find on Instagram at docredmonkdesign, where there's also a link to his Etsy page. Please do feel free to message in with all your comments, queries, thoughts and theories. Let us know if you see any Susan staring out of a window moment, any clumsy Susan moments or any of the other sting related things that we track. Old tech alerts. Yeah, yeah. Love that. And you could get a shout out on the show. Yes. And also don't forget if you have had limo sex or you are a limo that have had sex in you, then do give us a contact. Let us know. We want to hear these stories. Must be uncomfortable. Yeah. Next week, we, are be- we will be back in your ears with Season 3, Episode 19. God, that's good. Yeah. That's the title of the episode. That is the title of the episode. So, so see you then. See you then, guys. Thank Goodbye. You. Bye. Bye.